The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the Tesla of toothbrushes. Most people's oral care habits could be better. We often brush for less than two minutes and use old, worn-out bristles. Quip makes having a fresh, healthy mouth easy and convenient. Their electric toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds so you can clean your mouth evenly, and they deliver brush head refills every three months, just like your dentist recommends. Get your first refill free at getquip.com listen. That's getquip.com listen. There's encouraging news on Eugenio Suarez and some developments in the Mookie-less Boston outfield. And is Mike Leake spring already gone to the dogs? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, February 14th. Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper, and I'm wishing everybody a happy Valentine's Day. And uh, same to you, DVR. So uh, hope it's uh, been a good day for you. We've got some uh, injury updates for you, some rankings of yours to revisit. I might even have a little beef with uh, one or two of those rankings. All right. I love beef. <laughs> All right. Not a not a vegetarian show here. So, well, let's start with the uh, update on Eugenio Suarez, which I think certainly on the surface seems like good news, although I'm going to probe that assumption a little bit. But uh, Suarez, just a few weeks back, had shoulder surgery. But uh, the latest reporting is that he may be ready for opening day. So I'm going to ask you a question that may seem a little counterintuitive. But does this make you more or less likely to pursue him at his current price? Now, his ADP varies a little bit from site to site. On Fantrax, he's going 56th overall. On CBS, uh, 79th. So that's really quite a spread there. Uh, NFBC, a little bit closer to the Fantrax side of things. So we're talking roughly top 60, top top 70 overall. Um, You barely have him in your top 70 among hitters. So obviously you were building in some concern there anyway. So does this encourage you maybe to move him up or do you feel like maybe he's being rushed? I kind of wonder if it's just a manager having to provide an update because there are more members of the media assembled. You know, I think this was always on the table as a possibility for Suarez. So I think what I want to see before I actually move him up is I want to see more progress. I want to see him get into some Cactus League games in a few weeks. To me, that'd be an indication that things have progressed to the point where they're starting to let him trust that shoulder completely. Uh, It's certainly not bad news that an opening day return is realistic, but it's not actionable for me yet. I'm still kind of down on him relative to other third basemen in that cluster. And I think it's basically because of the old mantra that injuries are going to find you, so don't add injuries to your roster from day one. Like there's no need to take on that extra risk when there's so many other quality third basemen and corner infielders in general available at a similar price who don't have that injury. So was that your thinking when you put them 70th among hitters? Uh, So again, that's not just, you know, ADP that's hitter ADP rank. Uh, When I say I have beef, I mean, that strikes me as a pretty deep discount on Suarez when I don't think he was initially expected to miss that much time. And I mean, you, you plug in somebody who's replacement level while he's out. So, I mean, it's not like you lose all of the um, the, the production at third base during that time. Um, so, 
why why did you have them so far back? It's just the unknown of how long that timetable actually takes. They've got such great depth piled up on the infield that you don't necessarily look at this team and say they have to rush him back because they don't have viable options to step in. They can move Mike Moustakis from second to third, play someone like Josh Van Meter on a regular basis, at least against righties. And I think Van Meter's a good player. So that gives them the luxury of taking it slow with Eugenio Suarez and even though things look good right now, I just need to see some actual progress with him on the field before I start to move him back up. How much does your concern about his production and maybe having a slow start when he does come back, how much does that play into that? Because that's that's my bigger worry than actually when his return date is. Yeah, it's part of it too. I mean, we we see players come back on time or quicker than expected, and they're not themselves for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes longer. Fortunately, it doesn't sound like it was a major structural problem. Uh, but again, I see it as a situation where I just don't want to take on unnecessary risk where I don't need to. Yeah, and third base is deep. So you're right. You don't, absolutely don't need to. Um, so that's a good thing to to factor in as well. Uh, let's move on to another injury update here. This one involving Mike Leak, who has been diagnosed with a fracture in his left wrist. It's actually an old injury, says he's been playing with for a really long time, but it got uh, aggravated or exacerbated as he fell while chasing his dog. So he's going to rest the wrist for a couple of weeks, but still may be ready for opening day. I, I just... I'm skeptical, DVR. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, it just seems like a lot of these reports, initial reports we get are very optimistic. And a lot of times the return gets return date gets pushed back and pushed back. And maybe also I'm a bit biased in this because already I've got some shares of Mer- Merrill Kelly. I really like him. I really like the increase in velocity that he showed late in 2019. So maybe this is a little bit of wish casting on my part, but how do you see this all playing out with now the the wrist injury you know, factoring in? It's just one more factor in this, but this is a pretty difficult situation, I think, to forecast anyways with the Diamondbacks rotation. It's it's six deep at least. How many how many starts do you think Kelly makes this year, especially given this news on Mike Leak? I think Kelly's probably a 25 start guy, believe it or not, because between Luke Weaver's arm injury last year, Leak having an injury right now, Robbie Ray having some arm injuries in his not so distant past, you know, Bumgarner, more bad luck related injuries with the comebacker and the motorcycle accident. There's a bunch of guys in this depth chart that have varying levels of concern already on the health front. So uh, I think Merrill Kelly's okay at this point. I think he's more of a draft and hold or NL only sort of target for me than somebody I want in like a 12 team mixed league. Uh, But I do think the the league situation offers us some shorter term clarity as far as Kelly's opportunity goes. The funny thing about all this is that the Diamondbacks continue to insist that Zach Gallen has to earn his place in the rotation. And I just don't really see that being true. I mean, if he gets rocked during Cactus League play, maybe that changes the tune a little bit. I just I just imagine he's a fixture in that rotation all season long. Yeah, I do see conflicting things. And just as an example on MLB.com, when I was reading their account of the Mike Leak news, the way that it was put in that column was that um, you know, Leak was part of a rotation that included Bum Garner, Robbie Ray, Weaver, and Zach Gallen. So Merrill Kelly was conspicuously absent from that list. Gallon was very much in it. So I don't know if that was just 
their whoever the writer was, uh, probably Steve Gilbert. I'm not sure, um, but whoever the writer was, you know, just their assumption, or you know, if that is the sort of the default plan going into uh, spring training. Yeah, well, nevertheless, they have good depth, as you mentioned. I mean, they also. Uh, got pretty good mileage out of Alex Young last year. He doesn't yeah. have a rotation spot to call his own, so he's probably the first guy up from AAA if they have multiple injuries beyond this Mike League situation. Yeah, yeah, no, I've uh, had him in mind too. I'd certainly like to see him get a crack, but there's, you know, there's only so many spots there, and there's only so many spots in the Boston outfield. As is true, by the way, for everybody's outfield. There's only three of them, and Alex Verdugo, of course, slated to fill one of those since the Mookie Betts trade. But now uh, there's a report that he is still dealing with back issues, and it sounds like it's a carryover from late 2019 when he missed time at the end of the season. So he's in danger of missing opening day. And then coupled with that news is the report that Kevin Pillar and the Red Sox, as has been rumored for several days now, they have now come to an agreement on a one-year deal. So that's a pretty obvious flip there that if Verdugo's not ready, Pilar gets in the starting lineup. But how do you see this playing out long term? Do you think it becomes maybe a, a platoon situation, which to me would actually make some sense? Do you think Verdugo is going to be more of an everyday player whenever he's ready? Do you worry about his health issues season long? Uh, you know, How would you forecast this whole situation? Yeah, I thought with the trade, Verdugo had a chance to be an everyday player. I thought the Red Sox would actually give him a chance to play against left-handed pitching because they didn't have that right-handed hitting outfielder who could be the complement. Now, with Kevin Pillar, they do. Uh, They could do the same thing with Jackie Bradley Jr., though, because Kevin Pillar defensively is not a huge step down from what Bradley brings in center field. So there's at least a chance. I think the bigger concern really is the health. This is an injury, or at least a similar injury to the one that cost Verdugo a lot of time last year, really kind of stunted what could have been a breakout season for him in 2019. And I think that's what's leading me to not necessarily want to to pay the rising price on Alex Verdugo. I mean, I, I like him as a guy that makes a lot of hard contact, doesn't strike out much, but I'm very concerned that this injury is related to what he was dealing with last season. And given the way it really shut him down in the second half, I'm I'm concerned that he's going to maybe miss some time when this season begins now. All right. Well, uh, in your rankings, which again are now, uh, they've been up for almost a couple of weeks, you have him 44th among outfielders, 123rd over hitters, uh, in among hitters overall. So it's it certainly sounds to me like when you refresh those that uh, he'll be lower. Yeah, I think a- he'll end up moving down a little bit because these came out just prior to that trade. So he would have crept up a little bit <laughs> if he were totally healthy. But since he's hurt, to me, that's even more damaging than having just stayed put and been in a crowded situation with the Dodgers. So he'll probably fall a few spots, similar to the Suarez mentality, where yeah. you ask yourself, why am I taking on a player with this chronic injury when there are other viable players still on the board at that same point in the draft? Now, DVR, I don't think we talked about this, so you know, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but when we were breaking down the whole Mookie trade, I don't think we talked about the impact of park factors uh, for Verdugo. So he's going to a park that's generally better for offense, better for run scoring, uh, not so great for home runs, but fantastic for doubles. And so it, it strikes me that this might be a really good fit for him whenever he is ready to to play for the Red Sox. Uh, do you think it's it's a it's a substantial upgrade in terms of park factor? Yeah, I think the fact that it is more difficult to hit home runs for a lefty at Fenway is something that's weighing on the minds of a lot of people. But 
I don't know how much of a home run hitter Alex Verdugo was going to be anyway. I don't yeah. think that's necessarily the the best part of his offensive profile. I think it is more hit tool over power for him anyway. If he can use the opposite field effectively, he can you know, reap the benefits of the monster and and actually you know maybe pile up uh, a few extra batting average points along the way. Maybe he's a threat to hit three ten or three fifteen in his top seasons. Uh, with the move to Boston. I, I think the initial appeal of the trade, though, really was the surge in potential playing time. And Kevin Pillar definitely puts a damper on that now that he's in tow. That's uh, a bummer. That's a bummer. All right. Well, uh, while we're looking at park factors and you know thinking about ways to slice and dice stats, it's time for our featured read of the day. And today's comes from Rotographs. And it's a piece by Alex Chamberlain. It's called Which StatCast Measures Correlate Best? 2019 refresh. And that refresh refers to the fact that Alex and I co-authored a piece uh, last offseason looking at which StatCast measures correlated best with power metrics like ISO and home run to fly ball ratio. And so Alex just um, updated it with uh, last year's correlations, which is fantastic. And we also, in the original piece, and then Alex again in this 2019 refresh, we also look at the, um, or in this new one, Alex on his own, looks at year-to-year correlations for stack cast metrics. So these are things like barrel rate, exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, average fly ball distance. And basically what he found in looking at the 2019 data is that it's right in line with what we found with prior years. So that's really encouraging. And as a result of doing the research in the initial go uh, of this project, I pivoted DVR. I used to use average fly ball distance a lot as an indicator of power, and that just didn't correlate as strongly with with power metrics, and also year-to-year didn't correlate with itself as strongly as average exit velocity on flies and liners. So uh, for those of you who read my work, you'll see I use that stat a lot. (laughs) And and a reason I use it a lot now is because of the study, and now Alex has given me a reason to, you know, continue using it a lot. So are there particular StatCast metrics that you like? Um, and if so, how do you find yourself using that data? So usually I've found that when I'm looking for late darts, one of the go-to stats for me has been barrel rate. And in the absence of finding guys who maybe didn't play a lot but popped up pretty high on the barrel rate leaderboard, I do start looking at the average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. And I'm just looking for anybody who could end up playing more. I think hitting the ball very hard is a extremely valuable skill. And if you can add things to that, if you can add more contact to a profile where you make a lot of hard contact as it is, that's when you can actually get a breakout. So that's the type of player I'm looking for, especially when I'm targeting hitters late in drafts. I'm just looking for some surprises on the average exit velocity leaderboard for fly balls and line drives. Yeah, and I use it similarly too. It's it's just a great uh, leaderboard to just take a quick look at and see which names surprise you. And then it's it's certainly it's not a, a be all and end all, but if if somebody pops up, just for, here's a, a top of mind example: C.J. Crone, who ranked very high on that leaderboard last year, uh, exit velocity on flies and liners. And so then you you do a deeper dive and you look at the rest of his profile and see if maybe Crone is going to be a surprise power source in in 2020. So for that kind of thing. I think it's really useful. I don't know. I don't know how we lived without it. Yeah, I think I also just look for surprises in terms of players who had a really bad season. Like Will Myers pops up really high on that list yeah. from last year, and it's like, wow, 
Wouldn't have expected to see him there. Now the problem for Will Myers was he struck out, I think, more than ever last season. If he can get back to his usually high but not ridiculously high strikeout rate, maybe there's some bounce back potential with Will Myers that other people might be overlooking. Yeah, yeah, that's a great tip in terms of uh, using that data for that purpose. So, uh, well, with that, we're going to put a bow on this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a 40% off discount on a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. Everything that we do is included with a subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will both be back here on Monday. Monday.